Hello everyone, I'm Hadley. And I'm Emily. And welcome back to another episode of Dark Damned and Disturbed. This is the third time we've tried to start this. (laughs) We'll get it together eventually. We're going to get it together eventually. Hopefully this is Um, it. I have I feel a good like feeling. Is, I think this is it. I think this yeah. is, it's going to have to be it. I'm tired of restarting. <laughs> so today's case is one that I, it's kind of stuck with me since the first time that I heard it. And this is a case that I believe this is the one that got Emily kind of into true crime podcast because for sure. I played it for her when she was visiting me in Virginia. And because this one is one to me, like uh, that morbid podcast covers very well. And it's just one of those cases that like sticks out to you. So we're going to go seat on, put your seatbelts on. It's bumpy. It's a rough ride. So we're going to go ahead. Um, this is the case of Catherine Knight. Um, and she's literally the worst. And like I said, this is a case that has stuck with me since I first heard morbid cover it. And I think like 2018, 2019, and in my opinion, it is literally one of the worst cases in the history of true crime. And so we're going to start back at the beginning. And like Emily said, buckle up, put your seatbelt on, tighten your helmet, get ready. It's a (laughs) wild ride. It's very disturbing. It's very dark. It's very gory. And I want to go ahead and put like a preface trigger warning. Um, There's a lot of very graphic things, a lot of horrible things, um, ranging from animal cruelty, sexual assault, rape, obviously murder, um, cannibalism things of that nature so just please trigger warning i will also do my best to as i'm going through my notes once again trigger warning give kind of a give a little Little heads up a little heads up so that way you guys can kind of make a decision if you need to skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to listen to that part so Catherine was born october 24th 1955 in tenderfield australia and she was a twin she was the younger of the two and her sister's name is joy And Catherine and Joy were the product of an affair between their mother, Barbara Ruffin, and their father, Ken Knight. And Barbara, at this point in her life, already had four sons and was married. And she actually met Ken via her husband, Jack Ruffin. And her four boys that she had were Jack's kids. And then eventually, at some point, her and Jack separate and then her and Ken get married. Which also, can you imagine, like, you've already had four kids and you get pregnant and you're like, oh, maybe just one more time. And then it's twins. Hell no. <laughs> I, I could not imagine. Heck no. Heck to the no. So, after marrying Ken, the four boys kind of, like, went their own ways a little bit. So, uh, two of them live with their dad, Jack, and then two of them live with their aunt in Sydney. And so, in 1959, sadly, her ex, Jack, died. And the two boys that lived with him came to live with her and Ken. And so Catherine, like many people that end up this way, did not have a great childhood. Her father was, quote, a violent alcoholic and trigger warning. Skip ahead a few seconds. Um, He raped her mother multiple times a day and it was said up to 10 times a day. Poor woman. And trigger warning again, Catherine also claims that she was sexually assaulted by multiple family members until she was roughly 11 years old. But from what I could find, it was never her father that was sexually assaulting her, but I'm not 100% sure if he was one of those. I believe in Morbid that they said he was one of them. So 
I just, I, I didn't find anything that explicitly said that her dad was one of them. So I didn't put it in there, but I could be, that could be incorrect. Um, and so Barbara, (laughs) ma'am, for some reason, she would tell her daughters in very vivid detail all about the sex life between her, her husband and would go into very great detail to talk about her hatred for men and sex. I would literally vomit. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at school, Catherine was not what you would consider to be a model student. She was constantly terrorizing other students and um, smaller students, really. And this does not shock me when you think about what she's got going on at home. And it was said that at school, she would kind of display this like dual character and that small incidents would really just set her off. Um, And that when she was not in this like manic raging fit, she was apparently very well behaved and earned like multiple awards from her schools. So at 15 years old, Miss Catherine, she drops out. And she, I just needed to be known. She never learned how to read or write. Um, And so at 15, she started working in a clothing factory as a cutter. And that was literally just someone who cut up fabric and cut up clothing. So at 16, Catherine would start working what she considered to be her dream job. And she was an, I think it's Ophel cutter. I think that's how you say it. At a local ob abattoir abattoir um basically like a meat (laughs) the slaughterhouse the meat man (laughs) the meat man um and so basically Catherine was literally cutting internal organs out of animals um it's not my dream job personally but to each their own and you know insert the little it ain't much but it's honest work meme (laughs) um so journalist pete lowler i think is how you say his name wrote a book called Bloodstain that's about Catherine and he said that Catherine loved her job so much that she hung her first set of butcher knives over her bed just in case she would ever need them and I can tell you I can safely tell you that up until this point in my life I have yet to stumble upon a situation where knives over my bed would have benefited me just in case you bring your steak to bed girl you know honestly I probably would hurt myself I did break. You would. I did break a kitchen knife. <laughs> sorry, Ryan. Sorry, I broke your knife. You would. Um, Ryan, just remember that you love me. I'm sorry I broke your knife and your Guinness glass. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1973, she meets a coworker, David Kellett, and I mean, honestly, this is exactly what I'm looking for in a man. I can't lie to you. He was said to be a quote hard drinker. <laughs> and that he, Catherine, he and Catherine often ended up in fist fights with each other. Okay, all right. And just for the record, he lost every time. He lost every time. She was bad. So, from what I remember from the morbid episode, Catherine was just a, a big human. Um, yeah, she was just a big lady. I, I wouldn't say that she was fat. I wouldn't say she was heavy set. Like none no. of those things. She is just a big human. And some people are just built big. They're built different. Um, And that seemed to be her. And David, in a shocking turn of events, was a lot like Catherine's dad, Ken. Hmm. Alcoholic, violent, 
and he was said to be initially surprised by her when he was in a fight and she jumped in alongside him. And then this excited him because he quickly realized that she would be able to dominate him. All right. Yeah. So, 1974, Catherine convinces David to marry her. And on their wedding day, David was apparently very, very intoxicated. And he, his new mother-in-law told him, quote, You better watch this one or she'll effing kill you. Mm. Stir her up in the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're effed. Don't ever think of playing up on her or she'll effing kill you. She's got screws loose somewhere. Her mother. Her mom. Our girl Barbara. And so, yeah, perfect. That's exactly the same wedding advice that my mom gave to Gary on our (laughs) wedding day. Um, Shout out Jill. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) But, like, literally, what a lovely way to start your marriage. Um, Being told that your wife will literally murder you. Um, So, on their wedding night, they were, you know, doing them grown folk things. And consummating their marriage. And they did these grown folk activities three times. <laughs> we we, keep, we try to keep it PG around here. So, you know. In one night. Three times in one night. Uh, three times. I'm too old. And at this, <laughs> and at this <laughs> point, our man David, he's tired. He wants to go to bed. It's a vibe, David. I feel you. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a vibe. So, David wants to go to bed. I personally I feel like three times is plenty um in, in one day but and especially in one night like that's just like a few hours um so David wanted or Catherine wanted to do those grown folk things a fourth time so Catherine gets mad that David decided to you know come up for air <laughs> tap out um and so the only appropriate way to respond to that would be to strangle him because why would you wake him up and just be like hey one more round question mark um, when you could just strangle him so David wakes up and fights her off I'm taking notes so day one Catherine is literally already trying to kill him and I want to point out that like you know this is literally a perfect foundation for a marriage yeah for sure Um, and for reference they were married for 10 years Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. So, on a separate occasion, she was pregnant. And this is a little bit in the future. So, David came home late from a dart tournament. And she was so mad, she smacked him in the head with a frying pan. uh, Which, my mind immediately went to Medea. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And then she burned all of his clothes. Huh. And so... After she hit him with the pan, he managed to get outside but passed out at a neighbor's doorstep. He had several skull fractures, and police wanted to charge Catherine for this, but they the charges were later dropped for her, quote, good behavior. Wow. So, in 1976, they have a daughter named Melissa, and David was apparently, quote, unfaithful to Catherine and was doing grown folk things with other ladies. And because of Catherine's violence, he ended up leaving her for someone else in May of 1976. Not shocking. Not shocking. So David moved to Queensland, shout out Queen Elizabeth, and to escape her. So Catherine 
handles this totally like an adult. Could not have handled it better. <laughs> Literally not a single flaw in how she handled this. Um, she's like, no, nope, not today, sir. This is not what's happening. You're not leaving me. And her response to this was to, on the next day, she has little Melissa in a stroller and she's, you know, beat bopping around town and she just starts violently throwing Melissa, like the stroller, like throwing it around. Um, Poor baby. Yeah. So Catherine was sent to a mental, like sent for a mental and medical evaluation and was diagnosed with postpartum depression, which... Mm -hmm. I kind of gathered that from like how violent she was toward the baby. Um, so she went to treatment for a few weeks for a bit. And a few weeks later, um, she got out when she got out, uh, she got out. So Melissa was two months old and Catherine is still pissed about these affairs that David was apparently having. Um, so she decides to, at this point, leave Melissa on train tracks right before a train was due um, and this older man that they called Old Ted saved Melissa. <laughs> Shout out Old Ted. Old Ted. Old Ted. And he managed to get her off the tracks literally minutes before a train came barreling through. So then Catherine steals an axe and she went around town threatening to kill people. Okay. Yeah. So for this, she was arrested and she was sent back to the hospital but the next day she was like I had my head out and so she signed herself out and left and they let her go they sure did they said be free so a few days later she slashed a woman in the face with one of her precious knives and demanded that the woman drive her to Queensland to find David so um, along the way, I guess that she maybe convinced her they needed to stop for gas or something. And so they stop at a service station and thank God, but this lady manages to escape from Catherine and this lady had her kids with her because I believe it was like the middle of the day and Catherine's like showing up to her house. Like you're going to take me to Queensland. Yeah. So she escaped from Catherine and she calls the police. So by the time the police got there, she was holding a young boy hostage. And I do believe it was the lady's child. Um, and she was threatening him with a knife. And somehow these police officers disarmed her with a with broomsticks. Um, <laughs> shout out to those police officers. Because like I said, she's a big human being. And you're literally fighting her off with broomsticks. With a broomstick. With a broomstick. Because police don't carry guns in Australia, do they? I'm not sure. I didn't uh, look that up. So she was admitted to a different hospital this time. And she told her nurses there that she was going to kill the mechanic that fixed David's car because it allowed him to leave her. And then she was going to kill David and kill his mom. Wow. So David, uh, my dude, kind of dumb. He gets told by police what happened. And he and his mom both move back to support Catherine. How about no? Yeah. And, like, I get it, but I don't. And I'm not victim-blaming or shaming him. Like, this behavior is very common with abused people. They go back. Um, But 
she like she's fractured your skull man like she literally and part of me wonders too like maybe he went back because of like how violent she was being toward melissa and so he was thinking like maybe if he was there he could kind of keep her from you know leaving her on train tracks um so just taking her i don't know yeah so in august of 1976 Catherine was released into the care of david and his mom and they moved to woodridge and that is a suburb in brisbane and she got a new job at Denmore Meatworks. Wow. And, you know, she's back in her little groove. She's back. She's in her, her element. She's in her element. Um, so in March of 1980, they had another daughter named Natasha. And so she did... This says Natasha, and then in the next page I called her Natalie. I believe her name was Natasha. I think I just <laughs> had, like, a little moment. But so after she has her... Uh, she hurt her she did go back to work but she hurt her back at work and she ended up on disability and the government ended up giving her a house in Aberdeen because she no longer needed to live near uh, work and she didn't need like rent accommodations anymore yeah so in 1986 her and David are donezo and she meets another she meets a 30 year old a 30 year old minor named David Saunders which like what is it with her and men named David but anyway Um, so he moved in with her after a few months, but he kept his apartment and Catherine was not happy about this. So she, of course, was like, why do you still have your apartment? Why do you need it? What are you doing when you're there? Why can't I be there with you? Why do you still have your apartment? And she was very concerned with what he was doing. And often she would throw him out, which like mighty good thing he still had that apartment then because he had nowhere to go um and this really was just like a rinse and repeat cycle she would kick him out he would come back she'd let him in he'd move back in then she'd kick him out again how exhausting trigger warning trigger warning trigger warning in literally all caps animal abuse this is the worst part probably skip ahead maybe 30 45 seconds if you don't want to hear this um, so May of 1987, David Saunders had a two-month-old dingo puppy. Aww. And so, you know, there's me who is like, I will just literally hold it until it's big enough to walk away from me and tell me I don't want to be holding anymore. Want to be mm-hmm. anymore? Don't touch me. Don't look at me, Mom. You're the worst. Um, so Catherine apparently doesn't have a maternal bone in her body. No. Um, she literally slid the puppy's throat open to show David what she was capable of if he were to ever cheat on her. I really hate her. A puppy. A puppy. A literal <sighs> puppy. What the actual hell. And I genuinely believe that for a number of reasons, but for this one, this is at the top of my list right now because we're not to the end of the story. There's a special place in hell for people like Catherine Knight. Um, they yes. are literally, they're building her a special little room that she's going to go vibe in. So then after doing this, she knocked David unconscious with a frying pan. She loves some frying pans, girl. She sure do. Um, and so <laughs> what, if you're David, you know, if you're David and Catherine, like, what do you do from here? Me, I would leave personally. That's just yeah. me. But they're like, no, 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 no. Let's have a baby. Oh, my God. So, you know, they don't break up. They procreate. So, June 1998. The baby will fix us. That can't be right. I think I have the wrong date. I think it's supposed to be June 1989. Either way, I digress. 
they have a daughter together and they named her Sarah. So David Saunders actually put a deposit down on a house that they were able to pay off when Catherine's like workers comp checks came in. And Catherine was said to have decorated this house. Yes, it was 1989. I was correct. Um, that's when they had their daughter. So um, Catherine decorated this house with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks, which are all super kid appropriate. We love that. And literally, there was no space in this house left undecorated. It was literally, apparently, like, even the ceilings. And never not once did David say, this might be kind of weird, dude. Apparently not. So, apparently, there was an argument. And she hit David in the face with an iron. Oh. And trigger warning, she stabbed him in the stomach with scissors. Um, And so he walked back to Scone, which is where he's from. And he comes back to their house eventually and sees all of his clothes are cut up. Oh, my God. David then took a service leave, like an extended leave, and he went into hiding. Does she just have a magic... Magic? A magic lady lady bit? I don't know. Is she just... Because this is, like, we're not even to the end of these relationships that she's in. And, like, that's what I don't understand is, like literally how it's always these people and i just i can't like Catherine knight is not a pretty woman like if you google her if you look her up to me she kind of looks like a troll she looks like a troll so to me i'm just like what what does she have because like it's it never fails it's people like her and then usually people are like oh they're master manipulators but it's like you cannot you can only manipulate me so far when you look like that exactly what does she have what does she have what is what is desirable about her other like that you're like all these men are just flocking to her so allowing abuse right so david goes into hiding which bless his heart um must have been literally nerve-wracking thinking she could find you at any second so Catherine did in fact try to find him but nobody would tell her where he was and a few months later he did want to see his daughter sarah and he finds out that Catherine went to the police because she lied to them and said that she was afraid of him. And police gave her an um, an AVO against him, which is an oh apprehended violence order, which is basically a restraining order. So my man done had his skull bashed in. He's been hit in the face with an iron. He's had his puppy murdered. He has a daughter with this woman and he has been stabbed in the stomach with a pair of scissors, but she's scared of him. Yeah, she's, he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. So, in 1990, she got pregnant by her co-worker, John Cullingworth, and had her son, Eric. And they were together for three years um, before she left him for her newest fling, John Price. Um, And from what I could find, there was, she was apparently not violent or, like, nothing really crazy happened between her and John Chillingworth. Um... I think it's Chillingworth. I think I said his name wrong. But that guy, they really didn't have any problems. She was just chilling and vibing. So, John Price, a.k.a. Pricey, has three kids at the start of their affair. And he, uh, like I said, there was no reported violence with the last guy. So, John Price was, quote, a terrific bloke, liked by everyone who knew him. 
and he had just recently ended his marriage in 1988 and from what i remember from the morbid episode i do believe that like him and his ex-wife were still pretty close like they had kids together so they were pretty like amicable and they were like friendly um to an extent and so his two-year-old daughter lived with his wife but their two older kids lived with him and so price was aware of Catherine's like violent history but in 1995 he literally let her move in with him why yeah why but why but why though so his kids apparently like loved her and he was making money at his job which was at like a local mine and apart from their like violent arguments at first life was apparently what he called a bunch of roses but i'm like you were violently arguing so it's like i don't know so in 1998 they get into a fight because Catherine's pissed that he will not propose to her so price pricey doesn't want to propose to her for probably about 97,000 good reasons and she's all like I cannot believe you you're the worst why won't you marry me why won't you marry me everyone else has I'm a great wife ask my 97 previous husbands <laughs> um maybe not David not the second David because I stabbed him in the stomach and killed his dog um anyway pricey had taken some expired medical kits from his work like they were literally in the trash um literally about to be disposed of so Catherine is mad for him not proposing so she goes and videotapes like i guess they were out in like his little shop or his garage or something but she goes and videotapes like the medical kits and shows like they're obviously stolen from his work which i can't really i don't even understand how you're this isn't even really stealing in my opinion because they were literally going to be thrown away so she sends it in to his boss and his boss fires him wow way to go but he had worked at this job for 17 years and they fired him over medical kits that were in the trash because he took them that were going to be thrown away anyway so my my thought process when i hear this is like okay so I understand she's like trying to retaliate against him because she's mad about the whole no proposal thing. But baby, how do you think he's going to buy you a ring if he doesn't have a job? Mm, how dare you ask a question like that? How dare I make sense? So the same day, he obviously realizes it's her and he was like, mm, you got to go, baby. So he kicked her out and she went back to her house and this news of like what she had done spread around town very quickly and he did kind of like rekindle their flame a few months down the road but he would not let her move in with him good for him naturally that makes her mad too um and they were fighting because um uh his and his friends didn't they were like fighting all the time and his friends really didn't talk to him anymore because of this relationship with Catherine. So in February of 2000, she assaulted him numerous times. Trigger warning. She stabbed him in the chest. Jesus. He kicks her out again. Duh. And then on February 29, 29, 2000, he took out a restraining order on his way home from work for both him and his kids. And I believe at this point, um, Catherine is already kind of like, she knows what she's going to do. 
So he actually told his coworkers that if he didn't show up to work the next day, it was because Catherine killed him. And his coworkers literally begged him not to go home. Like, I want to say that in the Morbid episode, they said that, like, they were offering for him and the kids to come, like, for him and the kids to come stay at their homes. Like, they would, you know, they would house them for the night, like, for protection, whatever. He and should not he, have gone home. He just was like, no, I need to go home. So he came home to find no Catherine. And he didn't see his kids there either. And so he later finds out that his kids were apparently like Catherine sent them off for a sleepover. So he actually, Catherine wasn't home. So he just is like chilling, vibing. He goes to his neighbors and he spends the evening with his neighbors. And he came home around like 11 and he got ready for bed. So this whole day, Catherine is like. I was going to say, where's Catherine? Doing, doing her own thing. So she went and bought lingerie and I want to say that on Morbid they said that it was thrift shop lingerie um, that, that like vividly stuck out in my head so I'm like 98% positive that's accurate but like that's disgusting if that's really what happened um, there's many things you can buy at a thrift shop I don't think lingerie would be one of them though <laughs> I would never buy. and in Morbid they also talked about like she videotaped like all of her kids and was like making crude comments and I want to say in Morbid that she also had her like from their episode that she also had her daughter like filming her with her grandkids and yeah. she was just like oh Nana loves you I love you all so much like because at this point like most of a few of her kids are older so she's got like grandkids and everything and so you know at this point like when you look back at those videos like it's kind of premeditated. Like, she, she had knew. every intention of also killing herself, I truly believe. But thankfully, that doesn't happen. So, she will thankfully, but unfortunately. Yeah, thankfully, but unthankfully. We. Right. So, she came home to Prices, and this was like after he had gone to bed. So, she watches some TV, she takes a shower, and she woke up Price because she wanted to do them grown folk things. And they did them, and then he went to sleep right afterward. Seems like a normal night, minus the thrift store lingerie. Ew. And at 6 a.m. the next day, uh, Price's car, he never leaves for work. And when he never showed up for his job, because he got a new one, his employer was like, okay, something's not right here. So he sends a coworker out to like just double check on John, especially because of the comments that he had made the day before. So yeah, he literally said he literally said she was going to kill him. So when the neighbor and sh when the coworker shows up, a neighbor is like also the neighbor's also kind of concerned. Like his car's never here this late in the day. Like something's going on. So the neighbor and the coworker are like kind of like walking around the house. They knock on his bedroom window. They're like, hey. You know, did you just oversleep? Like, homie, are you there? Um, and they're kind of like working their way around the house. And then they notice that there's blood at his front door. And so they called the police at like 8 a.m. So the police show up and they break down the back door. And when they go inside, they find his body with Catherine. And she's passed out from a large number of pills. So, like I said, I believe she was trying to overdose and kill herself, but it was unsuccessful. So, she had stabbed Pricey with a butcher's knife while he slept. And the blood evidence 
from this shows that he woke up and tried to turn on a light and that he was trying to escape while Catherine basically chased him through the house. He got out the front door, which explains the blood on the front door, and they don't know exactly how it happened, but he either stumbled, um, he either stumbled back inside or Catherine drug him back to the hallway where he bled out. And so this already is like horrible. Um, So what's your next step if you're Catherine, but to take his debit card and go to an ATM and take out a thousand dollars in cash. That's not suspicious. But also, like, she took all those pills. So I'm sitting here, like, if you were taking all these pills, like, to me, it sounds like she wanted to try to kill herself. Especially because, like, the videos and everything with, like, the, the comments and all stuff. So it's like, why would you go take money out? But anyway. Um, so this is what his autopsy revealed. And trigger warning from here, probably until near the end, it's going to be very, very graphic. One it's of a the doozy, most, guys. It's a doozy. One of the most graphic things I've ever heard and ever researched and ever had to say out loud in my life. She is a psycho. Psycho. So, Pricey was stabbed at least 37 times in his front and back sides. And he had many wounds to his vital organs. And this is where it gets real, real graphic, guys. Really, really graphic. Um, several hours after he died... Catherine skinned him and hung his skin from a hook by the door like it was a freaking jacket. She hung his skin by a hook. So gross. I, once again, I'm going to continue to reference the Morbid episode because they did a great job with it, but the Morbid episode, I want to say too that like Elena had mentioned that like there was, it was noted somewhere that the way that she had done this was like very precise and she only left like one small portion of skin on his body and that like it was so perfect that they could literally put it back on they literally yeah they could literally like put like reattach it to him and i i don't know about his like funeral arrangements or anything but i just you know you're like at this point it's like how how worse can this get like you literally have a human skin suit hanging just wait by the front door but wait, there's more. It's like an ass scene on TV ad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I literally wrote all of these notes in all caps. Emily, I'm not sure if you could see them, but literally <laughs> I was like screaming. So um, she then, once again, another trigger warning, guys. Um, she decapitated him and began to cook his body parts. So her little meal plan for this was she was going to serve his meat with baked potato, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. And then because she's a le chef, she decides that she's going to set up two place settings at the table. And who better to set these place settings for than for his two children? Not his daughter, but his two oh other children. God. And she actually, like, left name cards and wrote each of them a little note. And she was legitimately going to feed him to his own children. I forgot about that. Um, so they did find like a third plate meal thing happening in the backyard. And they think that she did try to eat some of it. Um, and inside of a pot on the stove was his head with vegetables. And the pot was still warm. 
Psycho. So, once again, just when you think it can't get any worse, she apparently set his body up and, like, had its left arm draped over, like, a soda bottle. And she crossed the legs because, God forbid, he be placed improperly at this point with what little things is left of his body. And she left a note on top of a picture of Price. And I'm going to read what she wrote. And once again, guys, she didn't, she left school at 15. She doesn't know how to read. She doesn't know how to write. So I'm going to read it to you exactly how she wrote it. Um, They got you back. Time got you back, Jonathan, for wrapping my doter. You took you, you to Beck for Ross, which Beck is Price's daughter for Ross, for little John, his son, which is his son. Now playing with little John's dick, John Price. So obviously, she's very literate. Um, and that uh, that education was really helpful to her when writing that letter. And it's wild to me, though, that she dropped out at 15. So she was she a... She didn't know how to read or write at 15. That was what I was thinking, too. Like, How do you not know? You... How do you not know? Anyway, um, so, um, this is a, this is, this is a rough one, guys. So, in her pre-trial, she was offered, her initial offer to plead to manslaughter was denied, which, like, baby, come on. Like, this is premeditated. This man, and you want manslaughter so on February 2nd 2001 at her arraignment she entered into a plea of not guilty once again you're literally there with the body you have left notes with your handwriting for his children like and it's undeniable your handwriting that you are writing no one spells daughter daughter d-o-u-t-e-r so at her trial, Justice Barry O'Keefe offered to the jury, to 60 jury prospects, the option of being excused because of the nature of the evidence, because they had pictures of this. And I do, I once again, going to reference Morbid's episode, they said that, like, the police officers that were on the scene for this ended up having to, like, some of them had to take, like, leave of absences. They had to have, like, very intense therapy done, because this is literally unlike anything anybody has ever seen. Could you imagine? I, I don't even think there's really been anything to this capacity since then that I can name off the top of my head. Um, but so, obviously there's pictures. And so, the judge, the justice was very, very kind and understanding. So, he offered for them to be excused. So, five people did initially accept this offer. And once the witnesses started to, like, take the stand and tell their story, the jury just diminished. Um, and eventually... She, they she just ended up pleading guilty because the the jury so that way the jury could all be dismissed um and justice o'keefe did order a psych evaluation to make sure that Catherine wasn't um to make sure that what um Catherine knew she was like what she knew she was pleading to um 
because you gotta make sure she was sane you gotta make sure that she has the like wherewithal to understand like I'm pleading guilty to this this and this so he was really like just covering all his bases and making sure that like she couldn't kick back and say like well I didn't know what I was pleading to because I was insane or whatever which like he was really just like covering all of his bases so her defense team planned to claim um I don't know what this says. I can never read my own handwriting. Um, <laughs> but basically, they were going to say that, like, she had, like, a disassociation episode and that, like, she just kind of, like, wasn't there. And most psychiatrists supported this claim that she had disassociated, but all of them said that she was a sane person. Like, she was not, like, an insane person. So, Catherine never said why she changed her plead. Uh, her plea and she never took any accountability for what she did and her attorneys tried to have her excused from her sentencing um from her sentencing hearing and it was denied and during this hearing Catherine became hysterical and had to be sedated and when Dr. Timothy Lyons took the stand he described the like which this happened like she had to be sedated when he took the stand and was describing the like decapitation and the skinning and i'm just like baby you out here being a drama queen for what you did this like no one made you do this you literally did it yourself um so on november 8th uh justice o'keefe said her lack of remorse and nature of the crime required the most severe penalty which was life imprisonment with no parole and her papers are marked quote never to be released and this was the first time a woman had been given this sentence in Australia's history um so in June of 2006 Catherine was like you know what I'm gonna appeal this sentence oh my gosh and so she was claiming that life without parole was too harsh of a sentence for killing how but you didn't just kill you didn't just murder somebody you skinned them boiled their head and that's not even counting the literal like decades of abuse that you've done to every every partner you've had all of your children like you the audacity the audacity um and her appeal was very obviously dismissed and the judges that were like kind of in charge of it said that this crime was the most appalling and almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Her and uh, her and old John from our previous episode are in together with the audacity. With the audacity, I'm telling you, Olympic Games are the gold medalists. <laughs> but um, so yeah. From and I also think that they said in the morbid episode as well that like that in prison she's like very well liked and that they call her like mom and no also, and I'm just like absolutely not um keep me as far away from her as possible literally like she should be in a room 23 hours a day and not talk to anybody um but yeah that's that's and where it ends um, could you imagine though being pulled for a jury like for something I don't want to say cool, but for something like that, like... To this magnitude. My mom, shout out Jill, got pulled for... Uh, it's called, like, in the States, we call it... It's called a grand jury. It's where it's, like, for a federal court, I believe. And where I live out in Florida, my mom got pulled for a grand jury. And, of course, they picked her. 
and she still owned her business at the time so she was like we go in there and they're like this is a six month commitment and they were like if you have a justifiable reason like you can get out of it and then they were like no sorry your reason's not justifiable my mom had to serve on this grand jury but she obviously couldn't tell as much about the case but it actually was for a murder case and I believe it was a murder case. I swear that's what she told me. But obviously she did not tell me any details of it because that is not allowed. But I just remember like her being like, it was like constantly like she was having to like look at different, like she obviously, once again, she didn't tell me anything, but she was just like, there was a lot of evidence and a lot of things we had to look at. And like, she was constantly having to go to the courthouse. Like I think she had to go down there like once a week or twice a week or two or three times a month, like every month for six months. Um, how cool and so um how interesting we're gonna have to cut this part bitch there's a roach crawling on your wall behind you (laughs) it's a flying one stop (laughs) i'm scared i might leave this in sorry about wings Sorry for the profanity. I think I'm going to leave this in because this is really funny. It has wings. This is not funny. <laughs> this is the kind of comic relief you need to like cleanse your palate. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I gotta go. No. I saw it like above your head in the back and I was like waving because Emily and I, we talk on FaceTime while we record these episodes. We have FaceTime pulled up and I was like waving at her like it's behind you and like I'm trying to snap and like be quiet so she sees me. And then so basically... Basically, I'm standing for the remainder of this episode. <laughs> I don't know where it went. <laughs> it, like, when I first saw it, it went down, like, the side of the bed. <gasps> <gasps> Swear to God. <laughs> I thought there was a ghost or something, but <laughs> no. you were like... And then when I started waving, like, pointing at her, I was like, she's gonna think there's, like, a ghost or somebody. God, I, <laughs> I was scared. Okay, anyway. Um, but... <laughs> Wow. So Emily has a special guest in her room. Shout out flying roaches. Shout out flying roach. Love if you don't live in the south. Um, <laughs> when it rains a lot here, they like to come inside. I would like to point out that up here in Washington, I have not seen a single roach. What a blessing. It really is. Also, it kind of sucks though because it's the middle of June and we still have the heat on. It was like 60 degrees was the high today. Do y'all have June bugs in Washington? I'm not sure. What a blessing. I don't know. I feel like y'all don't have bugs at all. I don't think we do. Even when we go on, we've even been hiking. I don't, I don't really see any bugs. I'm moving. <laughs> Emily's going to come move in with us. We're quarantining this room. Um, <laughs> I don't want any maybe part of it. Maybe he'll guest star tomorrow when we record again. Maybe. <laughs> okay, guys. So <laughs> we can end this now. Uh, make sure you check us out on Instagram. It's Dark Damn Disturbed Podcast. That's our Instagram handle. Our TikTok is Dark Damn Disturbed Pod. And then email us with any case suggestions, any questions, anything you think is cool that we should talk about at darkdamndisturbedpod at gmail.com. Um, Emily, does your cockroach want to say anything before we end this? I don't know what. Hold on. <laughs> it says, leave us a review yes if you're listening on apple i'm not sure if you can leave reviews on uh, spotify i don't think you can but if you're listening on apple and you like us or you don't like us leave us a review preferably only a good one but obviously you know 
bad ones come with the territory so we'll take them in stride uh but yeah guys so emily is panic searching this room with her eyes so i think that she might want to end this <laughs> i'm scared <laughs> oh my god this episode has been a disaster we had to restart four times <laughs> Now, we had to stuff. pause. My dog was barking. Pause. Her dog was barking, and now the, there's a bug in her room. It's fine. Everything's fine, guys. We're falling apart, but it's fine. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're gonna go ahead and end this, but we will catch you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.